So today we're talking about the question, why are Christians so hypocritical, nasty, and judgmental? And I don't know if you've ever heard anyone say anything like this, but uh, something along the lines of, I reject Christianity because there's just simply too many hypocrites in the church. Yeah. I've had a bad experience in business with Christians. Somebody in my oikos, that was a constant note that he was hitting. I reject Christianity because the church is full of sinners. (laughs) Christians are just so judgmental and mean. Yeah. And if you've ever heard this famous saying by Gandhi, he says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. It's a very famous quote, one of the most famous quotes by Gandhi. And many unbelievers uh, are familiar with, with this idea and, and this sentiment. Now, what is the one verse that every unbeliever knows? John it used to be that, I think, when I was a kid. I think now it's Matthew 7, 1. Do not judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it is the one verse that every unbeliever knows is in the Bible. And so I want to talk about this verse at some length today and some of the ideas behind judging. Uh, if you are an American teenager these days, uh, the, the, one of the sayings that they have is, don't be so judgy, you know, don't be judgy, don't judge me, right? And this is a strong sentiment in the emerging generation. And so I want to take some time to think this through a little bit today. And some of these concepts are going to be like right with me. You're going you're gonna to agree with me. And then there's other things we're going to talk about today. And you're going to think, I'm not so sure about that. That's okay. And there might be some of the things I say that you say, I'm, I don't even know if I agree with that. Or I don't even know if I like that. That's okay too. So just think about it. That's all I ask. And um, the Lord will uh, sort that out, as I like to say. So there is a sense in which each and every one of us are evidence. We've been talking a lot in this class this year about various kinds of evidence. But there is a very real sense in which you are the most powerful piece of evidence to many unbelievers. Um, The reasons that we have been learning are all fine and dandy, but there is a very real sense in which our lives are the most powerful piece of evidence to other people that uh, they're looking at us when we name the name of Christ. And I think that as with many stereotypes, there is some truth to these assertions about Christians being hypocritical, nasty, and judgmental at times. This is a stereotype, I think, that is not without some level of truthfulness to it. And we have to be willing to kind of walk and grapple with that to some degree. People won't care whether Christianity is true when Christians act like arrogant jerks, right? We've been making the case in the class all year that the critical question we must ask is, is Christianity true? But there is a very real sense that our behavior trumps that question in the, in the minds of many unbelievers. When we act a certain way, when we have a certain posture and an attitude that they pick up on, 
And um, I think teenagers are especially adept at this. My boss and I both have teenage, teenage children, and he says, you know, my teenagers are like hypocrite detectors. <laughs> <laughs> they detect every hypocritical attitude in you, and unfortunately, they don't always tell you what it is. <laughs> so you don't know. <laughs> They're a little judgy, yeah. And we are sometimes unnecessarily judgmental. We are sometimes hypocritical, probably more than we realize. And I want to open your mind to that possibility today, that you are more judgmental than you probably realize. And that this is going to be a bit of a self-examination to help you in your conversations with unbelievers to have a moment of reflection, to ask yourself some difficult questions of how am I showing up for these relationships? What attitudes am I subtly conveying with my words and my actions? So here's a little Oikos tip for you uh, when you're talking to people and they bring up this objection about hypocrites. Just ask them, uh, can you tell me what you mean by the word hypocrite? Sometimes people use words and they, they don't really even know what it means, but it's out there in the cultural world, in the cultural vernacular. So just ask them, well, what do you mean by a hypocrite? Tell me more about that. How would you define that? What does that mean to you? Can you please give me some examples of where you've seen Christians being a hypocrite? Can you see, give me an example of where you've seen me being a hypocrite? That's a brave question, isn't it? To invite that level of feedback. But you don't know unless if you don't ask. That they might see something in your life that might be an obstacle, and if you're brave and you ask that question, you might be able to remove that obstacle from them, and that might actually lead to deeper places in the relationship. So that's a very brave question. Um, where, where you've seen Christians being hypocrites, where it's deeply or directly affected you. That's, that's a great question, I think. Another set of questions is when they talk about judging. So can you tell me more about judging? What do you mean by judging? What would a non-judgmental person look like to you? That's a very interesting question to help them paint the picture for you of what they're hoping for. <laughs> you know, what does a non-judgmental person look like to you? And on what basis do you think Jesus will maybe someday judge you? Because even in our culture, people often say, well, only Jesus can judge me. Remember I showed that meme last week? And many people in our culture will even say to us, part of the cultural sayings now, only Jesus can judge me. Even All right. Don't believe in Jesus? Yeah. They'll just say, you know, or they just might not be devout. They might not be a practicing Christian, but they have some knowledge that someday they will be judged. We'll just say, well, on what basis do you think Jesus will judge you? That would be an interesting question to explore with them. So these are just some, some questions that you can go to when the hypocrite thing comes up. Instead of just having a wall and stopping the conversation, dig a little deeper. Ask them some questions. What do you mean by that? It's a very powerful place to go. Okay, so which is better, judging or tolerance? We assign value to these words, don't we? If I say the word judging, do you have a positive or negative impression of the word judging? Negative. negative. Generally negative, right? Do you have a generally positive or negative view of the word tolerance? Negative. 
Most of us, I think many Christians view it from a fairly negative point of view, but our culture sees it from a fairly positive point of view. And I want to ask, I want you to think of this question is, well, it depends. What are you judging and what are you tolerating? It depends. But these terms have become so loaded in our culture that we automatically assign value to them. And it really depends. If I'm on a jury and I'm judging a murderer, that's probably a good thing. But if I'm tolerating an abusive spouse who's harming my children, that's probably not good tolerance. I might need some better boundaries, right? So these words, we have this tendency to just front load these words, And we've got to help people and ourselves dig a little deeper and to think these things through so that we don't just fall into an automatic judgment, if you will, about these words. So when we're thinking about judging and tolerating, it really depends on what we're judging and what we're tolerating. Okay, so first we're going to answer this whole hypocrite charge from the point of view of logic. And I want to go through this really fast because you can get this information other places. And this is where most Christian apologists usually camp out is on the logic answer is how do I answer this from logic? And uh, we're going to talk later about uh, some of the problems that I see with this, but I do want to at least put these, put these out there. Well, my first answer to the hypocrite charge is that I am not trying to defend what I call poser Christians. I am not trying to defend cultural Christians. I'm not trying to defend every person who names the name of Jesus, right? Because we all know that there are true Christians and there are poser Christians who name the name of Jesus, but they don't really live like him, right? I'm not defending those people. And if you, my unbelieving friend, want to call them hypocrites, I will probably chime in with you. Um, I have no intention of uh, trying to defend those people. Not everybody who names the name of Christ actually follows Jesus's commands. That's not a problem. My second response from logic is the fallacy of the trivial objection. The trivial objection fallacy is an informal fallacy in logic. Again, I'm going to give my little plug here for if you've never taken a logic class, consider it. It's the most valuable class I ever took in my, both my undergrad and my graduate studies. Uh, super helpful. The fallacy of the trivial, trivial objection focuses on critical attention on some point that is less significant than the main point or the basic thrust of the argument. And how this applies to us is that there are common misconceptions of what Christianity is. See, sin is not really uh, just a bad behavior or a bad habit. That's a misconception. That's a trivial emphasis. We say sin is something much deeper than a bad habit. It is something that we are inherently flawed and born into because of Adam's sin. And so we would say that that is a mischaracterization of, of Christian doctrine. Another common misconception is that Christianity is essentially about moral rules. It does contain moral rules, but is not primarily about moral rules. 
So Christianity is not primarily a system of ethics, as my friend Ken Samples likes to say. It is not primarily a list of right and wrongs. It's not even primarily a religion about making you a better person. These are all secondary issues, not primary issues of what Christianity is about. Christianity is about Jesus taking action to bring sinners, we might say a bunch of hypocrites, into a relationship with the Father. That is the primary thing that we are up to as Christians. And it is the imputation of power to transform lives through the Holy Spirit. We don't become better people because we try harder. We are transformed by the Holy Spirit living in us. That is a profound difference. And as children of God, we are still learning. How many of you are still learning how to be, how to be more conformed to the image of Christ? We are still learning. We are still growing. We are not perfect. I'm still learning too. You know, we're, we're, in, the same, we're in the same boat. And we, we're all in that together. Number three is that hypocrisy doesn't nullify truth. I want you to consider this, this alternate example. Fake doctors or malpractice don't invalidate all of medicine. We don't say that the entire medical establishment is incorrect because there's bad doctors. Or even fake doctors, poser doctors. Medicine can still reveal truth. It can still have truth in it, um, even if there's people who don't practice it correctly. The theory of relativity is still true even if a physicist turns out to be a murderer, because relativity is true, objectively true. It is not person-dependent in order for it to be true. And the claim that we are making as Christians is that Christianity is objectively true. Now, we are also making the claim that Christianity would transform our lives and that our lives should look like something. But um, that is part of the problem. Uh, okay, so we're going to watch a little clip right now. It's really short that even thoughtful atheists will agree with me on this point, that the problem is not that Christians are hypocrites. This is a fairly superficial um, objection. So we're going to play this clip.
Okay, let's look at a fourth response. Is it hypocrisy's basic assumption? I think this is a really thoughtful point, is that to call someone a hypocrite actually assumes that there is some objective standard of right and wrong. Have you ever thought of that? That when you call somebody a hypocrite, you're actually telling them, you know, that they're morally wrong. And that kind of assumes that there's a moral right and that you know what that is, that you're comparing it and saying, you know, you shouldn't act like this. You should act like this. This is more moral. And so when people call us hypocrites, what they are actually in a way conceding is that there is some standard of right and wrong. And they're sort of a little bit reviled by our behavior. They don't like it because they think we ought to be doing something else. Can anyone think back to where you were when you were first a Christian and think, oh, I did some things I probably shouldn't have done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that wasn't one of my finer moments. Uh, and I've grown in my faith since then. And I've, I've matured in the Lord and I've become more conformed to the image of Christ. And, but everyone's in their own process. And we have to be willing to let each other be in our own process with the Lord. That the Lord is still working on that person and that we are still growing. And that that is part of this whole journey together. So let's look at Matthew chapter 7, this very controversial passage. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5 says, do not judge. And the, the context here is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so he's giving us lessons in what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And this is, I think, a collection of sayings and sermons that he probably gave frequently. Uh, I've worked at my place of employment for almost two decades and there are some things that I have heard my boss say over and over and over again. He doesn't generally say the same sermon only one time. It's, it, and he travels around the country, even the world, giving the same message. And this is what I think probably Jesus did. Is he probably gave this sermon many times. And this was a collection of these sayings that he gave. And that's why they were so easy for his, his followers to memorize. They probably heard it a hundred times. And um, in an oral culture, it would be fairly easy to memorize it that way. And so he's giving these instructions of what does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? And what does kingdom living in Jesus's kingdom look like? So he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly and remove the speck from your brother's eye. So here in this one passage are both of our concepts, judging and hypocrites, right? And he's, he's making this very sweeping statement in the first verse of do not judge or you will be judged. The problem is, is that many in our culture stop there. They don't read the next part of the verse. For in the same way that you judge, you will be judged. So 
the question is not that we won't be judged. We will be judged. The question is, is how are we judging? And the, what is the measure that we are using? And then Jesus goes, goes on to explain this with this whole speck and log analogy. And really, the, the, the thrust of, of these verses about the speck and the log is, see, the problem with judging is that you can't see it. You're oblivious. That's the problem. Is you, you, your, your vision is obstructed about yourself. And the problem with judging is that we're, we just go through our lives and we're not really aware. But we're very aware of what other people are doing, right? We're very aware of, I mean, is anyone in here married? <laughs> when you're married, your tendency is to see the other person's flaws, right? But you don't see your own, except for you. You're, we're back on perfect over here. Um, but the, isn't that the truth, though, is that we often will see what the other person is doing. And our thoughts are obsessed. If this person would only change, if they would only change this one thing, then we would be in marital bliss, Right? Yes, but, but we, don't, we fail to see what our contribu- contribution to the problem is. And this is the thing about judging, is that we are mostly oblivious to ourselves. And we don't see it, so we don't see that plank. But part of what the law does, and the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' law, is it's a mirror, it helps us look in the mirror so that we can see that plank in our eye. And if we never look at the law, we never look in the mirror, we can't see it because we don't see our own eyeballs, right? We just see the world. We see everybody else. And that's why we need the law. Is the, the law is the mirror that we look at to, to reveal our sin. And so if we never look at the law... We never have an opportunity to see the plank. And we just look at each other's problems. Another important passage to consider to, Luke, or to Matthew 7 is Luke chapter 6, which is, I think, a parallel passage to Matthew chapter 7. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Now, how many of you know that sometimes in another gospel, we get a little more information. We get a little bit more. And I think that this is helpful. It says, do not judge and you will not be judged. There's that, that saying again. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and you will be given to you. Well, the idea here is that we ought to be generous in what we're doing. Generous in our forgiveness generous in our giving, and generous in our not judging. I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to say in Matthew chapter 7, is we want to be careful about judging, and we want to be generous in our not judging. And this is part of a thought unit. I wish I had time to teach through all of this, but this is part of an extended thought unit about loving our enemies, in verses 27-ish, um, all the way through 36, right before the statement about judging. So what we would want to do is reflect on the connection between these ideas. Is 
when we're talking about loving our enemies, we want to be generous in our giving, generous in our forgiving, generous in our not judging. There's a connection between these ideas. Just because there's a paragraph break supplied by the translators doesn't mean that there's a break in Jesus' thoughts. So we want, to, um, we want to be careful about that. And we want to think about um, these sayings. And then it goes on to talk about the whole speck in your eye uh, analogy again, starting in verse 41. And then in verse 43, which I think is still part of the thought unit of all of this, is it talks about uh, how a good tree bears good fruit and that a bad tree does not bear good fruit. This is very important because what fruit is Jesus talking about? He's talking about love, loving your enemies. He's talking about being generous in your forgiveness. He's talking about being generous in your lack of being judgmental. This is the very fruit that he's talking about. So I think this whole thing has to be part of a larger thought unit. You can't just take out this one verse, stick it on a sign, and pro run out in the street and start protesting because it preaches well. You have to understand it in the whole context. And so I think that it's important to understand that what Jesus is saying here is when you are judging, be generous. Give other people the benefit of the doubt as much as you can. Just as we're being generous in our forgiving, generous in our giving, and generous in our love toward our enemies. Um, what Jesus is not addressing in Matthew chapter 7 is something I addressed last week, which is ultimate judgment. Jesus is not talking about end of time judgment. Who's going to hell and who's going to heaven? That's not our concern. So we, we need to get out of that judging business is what I said last week. We don't know who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. Only Jesus judges that. All right. So we want to be clear about that. I want you to be totally quiet. Do you think you can handle being quiet over here? Are you up for that? Okay. So what you're going to do is I don't want any reactions, no laughing, snickering. I just want you to be in your own internal thoughts. Okay. You can look at me, but just, 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 I want you to just notice yourself. Okay. What you think. Yeah. Or think or feel. So I've got my Trump hat here. Okay. Now, I want you to notice that was, I said nothing. Mm -mm. <laughs> I want you to notice that all of you are having thoughts right now. Some positive, some negative. Some think this hat is ugly. All right. Now, you're all having judgments about me wearing this hat. Some of you think, yeah, she supports Trump, right? Some of you are thinking, why does Krista, why did she spend money supporting somebody who's, who promotes and advocates sexual assault on women? Some of you think Republicans are stupid. Some of you might even think Trump's trying to hijack the Republican Party. Okay, all of you are having thoughts, right, of some kind about this. Now, my husband got this hat for Christmas, and he's too afraid to wear it in public. 
Why do you think he's too afraid to wear the hat in public? Judging, right? (laughs) So this is this is a source of judgments in our culture, isn't it? This is a guy that I am acquaintances with on on Twitter. So, all right. So we already had a little judgment there. All right. Now I want you to think in your mind. What are you thinking about? This picture. You want me to tell you? Not yet. I just want you to notice. We're just noticing. Okay. Now, what are your judgments? What are your thoughts when I show you this picture? Is that the same guy? It's the same guy. He's got a little Trump Pence pin. Anyways, now all of you have judgments about him, right? Now, what I'm trying to get you to do here is to notice yourself, to begin to notice the plank in your eye. That all of you have thoughts when you see things. We're out in the world all the time, and you always are having thoughts, and you're not always aware of them. You're not always, you're just thinking, well, this is, this is the truth, right? My thoughts are the truth. My impressions are reality. Right? This is how we think. So let's say you see a guy wearing this shirt. He's got all these tattoos. He's kind of got this scary symbol on his his shirt. And I mean, this is the guy you're going to go run right up to him, right? And say like, hey, can I pray for you? So you have judgments about him, right? Now, this is a screen capture from one of my favorite Tom Loud videos where he goes up to this guy in a parking garage and asks him, can I pray for you? And he's a young guy and he ends up praying to receive Christ. Now, see, we judge. We all make judgments all the time. We make judgments every day, silently, in our head with our own thoughts. So do you judge others? We make judgments all the time. We make judgments just based on people's titles or identity someone's a criminal or a murderer we make judgments about them we make judgments and assumptions about people who visit our church simply based on how they look and what they wear don't we we do this all the time but what judgments have people made about you have you ever been judged unfairly people make judgments about me all the time oh you're a woman and you went to seminary you must be a liberal. Do you know how often I get that? Really? What seminary did you go to? Well, I went to, I went to Talbot. They let you in there? <laughs> yep, they accepted all my money. <laughs> I took all the same classes as the boys. You know? People make judgments about me all the time. They judge me of how I, what I wear. You guys judge me. I've had people in the class come up to me and say, I dress too casual. I've had other people come up to me and say, I dress up too much. So you guys all judge me. You have all kinds of judgments, and people have had judgments about you, haven't they? People make judgments about you. And some of them have probably hurt in your life. You feel misunderstood because they just judged you by how you looked. I'm sure it does. One of the gals 
in our Bible study that I got to know a little bit better, said to me, wow, you're very nice. <laughs> I thought you were really stuck up. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm, I'm just a little reserved. That's, That's right. I get that all the time. I can't tell you how often. I just had somebody else say this to me this week. Say like, wow, you're a really nice person. All this time I thought you were, well, just really smart and didn't need any friends. And I'm like, nope, I'm just a normal person. And I have my own insecurities and my own things I have to work on and grow through. And I make my own, I make mistakes all the time. And, you know, I'm not perfect. And I, I get that all the time. People make judgments. And I'm sure if we went around the room, we could all talk about what judgments people make about you, right? So you've been judged and you judge. The log and the speck, right? The question is, is how do we see people? Is, are, do we see them as somebody whom Jesus loves and wants to invite? Or, and see, this is the, the real question. You're, you're going right to the, my next point, Mrs. Gady, is the quit, critical question is, are we judging according to the correct criteria? Because we all make judgments. The, here's the problem from Jesus' point of view, is that we make superficial judgments. This is the problem of the Christian. And this is our PR problem, if you will, is that we all judge. That's, I think, part of human nature. But the problem is, is that we make superficial judgments and then we stop there most of the time. So let's look at Matthew 23. We're going to look at what I mean. Matthew chapter 23. All right. Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, Sit in Moses' seat. And part of what he means here is Moses, one of Moses' functions was as a lawgiver and a judge. And they have appointed themselves in that seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. And Yolanda, what's a phylactery? You probably know what that is. You know, the, the thing on the head that reminds them. Yeah. Six or sometimes it's like a little box on their head. On their arm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a reminder of the law. And they love the place of honor at banquets, the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have men call them rabbi. They love titles. They love influence. Respect me. This is my title. This is how they see themselves. But you are not called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In other words, the person who's willing to let go of their titles is the one who is greatest in the kingdom of God. And my friends at the Orthodox Church, at the Coptic Church down the street, they don't call them Sunday school teachers. They call them servants. 
they're going to have a, they don't have a teacher meeting, they have a servant meeting. Because they don't have the title of teacher. Only Jesus is the teacher, which I find interesting. What Jesus is teaching is if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you can't be all caught up in your titling and your affluence. And you're not going to be the person who's demanding respect because of, look how much education I have. Does this go for academia when you get your degree and you call a doctor? I think that there are some people who revel in that. I, I know a lot of people in academia, and I know who the people are that if you don't call them doctor, it's going to be a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and I know the people, one of the greatest New Test, living New Testament scholars is a guy named Craig Keener, and, and I mean, he's just amazing. And his, the intellect that the Lord has given this guy. But he is one of the most humble people I have ever met. And when you meet him, he's just really soft-spoken. You would never guess in a million years that this guy is the guy who writes these amazing academic works. And that's the humility of our posturing. And I think that's what Jesus is really talking about here. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of God in men's faces. In other words, you make the invitation small, as Pastor John would say today. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. It's a very difficult words. Let's go down to verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more weightier or the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. In other words, you have an external appearance of doing all the right things, but where's your heart? See, justice and mercy and faithfulness, these are heart issues. Jesus is saying the heart is more important than the outs- what you do on the outside. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish. You look good. You have fancy clothes. Everyone looks to you and says, wow, there's a designer suit. There's a great car. There's, they, they, there's all, you look put together on the outside. Your family looks perfect, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. This, again, is a heart issue that Jesus is looking at. Blind Pharisees first, what, clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. Can you imagine a decorated dead person? Oh, wait, that's sort of what we do. <laughs> that's what he's talking about. Is a, you're a decorated dead person. Which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is a Greek word that is like, have you ever seen those two-faced masks in the ancient world? That's what a hypocrite is. They're a two-faced person. They're a two-faced mask. 
they are, another word for it is that they are a moral or religious counterfeit. These are the kind of people, they'll say the right words, they'll say the prayers, they'll act holy when they're in church. Many of them are pastors. They're leaders. We look up to them. But when they're in their own life, they just kind of do what they want. That's a hypocrite. And we're not talking just about sexual sin. I think what's interesting here is Jesus' words are about heart issues. They're about unloving attitudes. That's what Jesus is calling out here. He's not saying hypocrites, uh, church pastors who are sleeping with their secretaries. He's talking about heart attitudes first. This is what Jesus looks to is character and covering up. I, I think that the covering up of the sin of church leaders is a big problem that we have. The problem of, and I, one of the things I track online is pastors, especially youth pastors, who get arrested for getting involved with people in their youth group sexually. Really? It is a growing trend. But many churches try to cover it up. The problem of pedophilia among priests and the cover-ups that have happened. But even more than that, the abuse in churches by pastors of their staff is pervasive. We need more fire in this is why so many people have short lives on church staffs at many churches. Because the uh, environment is abusive. I work in ministry and I know the, you know, like just this terrible stereotypes about working in churches and how abusive they are. Many people leave ministry forever because they have been so abused on church staff. Yeah, it's, it's sad. And these are character issues often, issues of integrity and how we treat people and um, I think that when we think about Jesus's words of justice mercy and faithfulness these ought to penetrate us I see this so so often as I work with victims of abuse um, in my prayer ministry so the real problem is what's annoying about Christians to unbelievers when it comes to judging, it's that we are superficial in our judgments. We judge the wrong things. I think that's the real problem. We're not motivated by love. We assert our opinions as facts. We assert our personal preferences as laws. When we assert our version of what we like to call common sense as rules for everyone to follow. And we make the way narrow. We judge by how people look, by their clothes, by their outward appearance, by their lifestyle choices. And it is a very real problem. We don't properly judge people's sinful character, especially 
our teachers. We don't start with the judgments within the house of God. This week was the National Day of Prayer. I watched a wonderful video by Anne Graham Lotz about the National Day of Prayer. And I was so struck by her reading of scripture of uh, uh, Chronicles 7 of, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and I will heal their land. But how I've always heard that verse, I mean, it's just me, but I've always heard it as thinking about my people as in my country. But really what it is is my people as in my church. Judgment begins with us and repenting of our sins and our superficial judgments. And so this brings us to our real problem is not answering the problem of hypocrisy and judging um, from logic. The problem is the pain that Christians have caused others through their judgments and hypocrisy. This is the real problem of, the, of so many people, is that the pain that we have caused in the name of Jesus. And I think that there is a sense in which the best answer to this, the best answer to bad Christianity is good Christianity. Be evidence of that better version of Christianity. And that's what I want to talk about. Um, you know what? We're not going to get to the end. And I really don't want to rush through this. Um, so we'll kind of put a bookmark there for now. But I hope that this will start you thinking this week. What I would love it for you to do is just notice this week what kind of thoughts you have about people. Your own internal conversation that you have, just by looking at somebody, what do you think? Is your first thought, wow, Jesus loves that person. How can I get into a conversation with them? Holy Spirit, do you want me to have a conversation with that person? What's your opinion of that person? How do you see them? Holy Spirit, what are you up to in that young man's life wearing that shirt with that satanic symbol on it? What are you up to in that guy's life? How can I partner with what you're doing already? We don't want our judgments just to stop with our own thoughts. Rather, we want to begin to hold up that mirror to ourselves and look, oh my goodness, there's a plague in my eye. <laughs> right? How can I get that out? And I think the first step to getting it out is to start noticing yourself. As I'm a big advocate of noticing. And so what I'll sometimes tell my husband or a trusted friend is I'll say, I'm stuck in a judgment about this person. And I will just say it out loud, just that clear. I'll say, I'm stuck in a judgment about this person. I'm, I'm making up a story or I have an assumption that because they're wearing that shirt or that hat or because they're driving that way or they're holding that protest sign that this is what they're about. And then I ask Help me have a different point of view. I'll ask a trusted friend or my husband or I'll ask the Lord, Lord, what is your opinion of this? What's happening there? Help me have a different story about this person. Give me a different story. You ever notice how we make up stories and we assign meaning to things? 
I, could, I showed that picture of Scott earlier, and you guys, I'm sure, if we went around the room, you all have a little story about him, what he was. Is he LGBT? Is he trans? Is he a woman? What is he? You all have a little story. And you, 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 this is what we do, and it's, it's just is. It's part of being human. But what we want to do is hold up the mirror to ourselves and start to say, like, okay, it's okay. I'm in a story. Now, how do I get out of it? <laughs> how do I begin to question it? How do I begin to get some different facts and some different data so I'm not just judging on the external appearance, but I'm letting that person be a human being because I don't want to judge them the way people have judged me. So, so just notice this week. Notice your thoughts. And then we'll come back and we'll kind of wrap this up next week. Father, we thank you for today. And Lord, this is a hard lesson for us because we all, we just walk around and we don't, we're not aware of how we're showing up all the time. And we're not always aware of our judgments. And we're not always aware that our thoughts are judgments. We just tend to think of them as fact. And we repent of not looking at ourselves in the mirror and not judging the way you judge, which is according to what's inside. And we repent of not practicing the disciplines of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Lord, we ask that you would begin to grow these qualities in us, that when we see people outside in our oikos and in the world, when we're just going out and about in our business, in the bank, in the mall, wherever we are in the grocery store, that we don't just make immediate judgments about people by having thoughts about them, but rather we start getting in a conversation with you of what you are already up to in their life. And that if there's anything that you want us to do to help partner with you in that effort, help us to see beyond the superficialities because that's how we want to be seen. We want people to know us for who you've created us to be. Help us to have that desire to know others, to see beyond the superficial. In Jesus' name, amen.